Hello and welcome to Giving Ventures, a podcast to help you grow your giving and change the world for the better. Each episode, we share innovative charitable efforts leveraging private philanthropy to solve public problems. I'm your host, Peter Lipset, Vice President at Donors Trust. This show is a product of Donors Trust, the oldest and largest donor advised fund focused on helping conservative and libertarian donors of all capacities simplify, protect, and grow their giving. My colleagues and I talk with a lot of groups doing great work. This show lets us share a bit of what we learn with you so you can discover new projects for your own philanthropy. Who would be on your pantheon of conservative and libertarian philosophers? In addition to Burke and Locke, you'd have to include Ayn Rand, author of the classic books Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged and so many others. Certainly, many on the right were influenced by Rand's philosophy of objectivism, whether directly or indirectly. During her life, Ayn Rand saw firsthand the corrupt power of communism, having fled the USSR after being born there. From her works of fiction to her many non-fiction tracks, she paints a picture of the value of the individual, the importance of reason, and the strength of capitalism. While you can find advocacy for these ideals baked into the cake of plenty of conservative libertarian organizations, two groups stand out as leaders in spreading the word about Rand's philosophy and how to incorporate those values of objectivism into our lives. These are, of course, the Ayn Rand Institute and the Atlas Society. Both are doing important work to promote these ideas, particularly among the younger generations. Today we'll talk with each of them and explore the legacy of Rand's work, how and where these messages still resonate, and whether we should be optimistic about whether these ideas can survive at all. So let's get to it. First today, we're going to hear from Ayn Rand Institute. ARI is in many ways the keeper of the legacy of Ayn Rand as a philosopher and as a novelist. ARI propagates and distributes Rand's books and works and advocates for her philosophy of objectivism, individualism, and capitalism, and distributes her books in many different ways. It also owns the Ayn Rand archive that hosts many of Ayn Rand's personal artifacts, uh, including her papers and memorabilia. ARI CEO Tal Tisfani is here to help me understand the various things the organization is engaged in along with all this. So first off, check my work, Tal. Is it fair to say that ARI's primary mission is preserving and expanding the philosophy, but, but also preserving her as a philosopher? Yeah, I would say uh, preserving and protecting uh, because, you know, there are many, many attacks on Ayn Rand, uh, a lot of straw man attacks that are completely untrue. Uh, we're trying to uh, keep her uh, and her philosophy alive and kicking because we believe uh, it has a lot to uh, contribute to the discussion uh, and the way of living uh, that we all share. Yes, yeah, so we are protecting and, and preserving and propagating uh, her works, uh, both the fiction, the nonfiction, uh, and the philosophy of objectivism, trying to translate that to what it means today in, the, in our current events. Right. There's a lot more works than just Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged, the best, yes. the best known. So, so yeah. what have been the traditional ways that Ayn Rand Institute has spread Randian ideas? So, uh, well, first, she didn't like to call it Randian ideas. She, she asked to call it objectivism. So we'll, talk, enough, we'll talk about objectivism. So, yeah, we, we're doing a lot of, uh, uh, you know, distributing books to, uh, to schools all over the country that are asking for the, the books and are teaching. This is why Ayn Rand is still a very known figure. Uh, you know, she died in the early 80s, and, but she's still in the, uh, in the culture. I mean, every day 
you see her discussed in some or mentioned some some way. So we're distributing through through uh, uh, high schools. There, there's tens of thousands of, of uh, students all over the world asking us for free books, both the fiction and nonfiction. And um, we're doing a lot of events, conferences in America, Latin America, Europe. I've just came back from Australia, New Zealand. Uh, so there are people all over the world getting more and more interested in our ideas. And we are kind of the, uh, you know, center of gravity for all of them. So uh, they're visiting. We have a mobile app where they can listen to her talks, to her um, intellectual heir, uh, Leonard Pickoff, the founder of, of the Ayn Rand Institute, uh, uh, from the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, where they, and the 90s, where they talk and uh, really, um, in a way, break down Rand's philosophy all the way to today's philosophers that we have in our faculty of what, what does it really mean to think objectively? What does it really mean to apply reason to, to the big philosophical questions of life? It's interesting to hear you say that all these schools are reaching out. And obviously, that's, that's a big thing that you do. But, you know, going, thinking back to my high school curriculum rand wasn't on there at all uh and i was down in georgia it was not necessarily some hostile place yeah uh, how common is ayn rand's works in school curriculums across the country i can tell you that we are distributing distributing hundreds of thousands of books every year and the demand is just growing and the demand of uh, students reaching directly to us to ask for books from all over the world, by the way, not just uh, the United States and Canada, uh, is, is overwhelming. Um, so I think she's still there. Maybe our literature or English arts uh, teacher chose not to, to teach her, but I can tell you that tens of thousands of teachers are teaching Anthem as a dystopian uh, short little novelette she wrote about a world where the word I is forbidden. Uh, and what happens to our, you know, the way people think without the word I, all the way to teaching The Fountainhead, as you mentioned, one of her, uh, you know, bestsellers, and then her magnus opus, which is Atlas Shrugged. Now, teaching Atlas Shrugged is a big undertaking. It's <laughs> that's a semester, if yeah, not a year. a whole year, yeah. And by the way, we are running the world's largest essay contest about uh, a book, and that's the Atlas uh, Shrugged essay contest. And uh, Thousands of people from all over the world, again, compete for big prizes every year. And that's another uh, ways of attracting people, more people to read the books. You know, in spreading these ideas of hers, I'm sure you come up with plenty of derogatory voices. Uh, I know there's people out there who are, make the case that we shouldn't consider her a philosopher at all, which I think is a little disingenuous. Yes. But, you know, people are down on Hegel and, and Nietzsche, but they still say, well, they're, they're, they're a philosopher. There's so much vitriol lobbed at Rand. Why do you think that is? I think it's because she is such a radical. She overturns thousands of years of philosophical thinking. She goes against most of what is being taught today in philosophy departments. She says, well, she's building on Aristotle. I think she is, and it's a big thing to say, she is the next best philosopher uh, after Aristotle. She's an Aristotelian, and she, I think, post what we've seen in the age of reason, you know, the Enlightenment, who, that gave us America and gave us the scientific and the industrial revolutions. She said that only after seeing that efficacy of reason and efficacy of, of, of liberty and what happens when you set people free to run their own lives, then you can see uh, new evidence about the, uh, of what Aristotle started, which is the efficacy of reason. And she's, a, she's taking that to a whole new level. I like to think about Rand as you know, doing what, what 
Einstein did to Newton, she's doing to Aristotle, and even Einstein. In the world of physics, uh, you know, he came out with general relativity in, uh, you know, in 1905. It's only in, until, you know, the 20s, 30s, in the world of physics, where you can see things with your own eyes, that they started understanding that maybe he's right. With philosophy, it might take decades. Today, I hope it takes decades and not centuries because of the velocity, velocity of information. But if you really examine what she's saying, she's actually showing you why we're seeing everything we're seeing. And after the bloodiest um, century of collectivism, we should be even more motivated to look into Ayn Rand and explaining why capitalism is the only, not maybe only, but the only um, uh, you know, social structure that will allow humans to thrive according to their nature and what does it mean to be a human and conceptualize the world with your power of, uh, of reason. So, yeah, she, she goes against most of what those people say, you know, the Nietzsche, even Nietzsche, of course, Hegel and Kant and all the Platonist, uh, you know, lineage of, of philosopher, philosophers. She goes against everyone and she's saying they're wrong. That's an interesting a big claim. That's, uh, no, it's great. That's an interesting perspective on it. All right. Well, you have a big newer, newish uh, initiative in this Ayn Rand University. Talk to us about that. Well, you know, um, I'm a startup guy. Came, you know, sold my company in the Silicon Valley and decided to dedicate my life right now to the, uh, you know, to to this, uh, I think, sacred mission of bringing right ideas back to the culture and trying to create a second renaissance of reason. If you if you study how cultures change, if you think about the big shifts of ancient Greece to Rome, Rome to the Dark Ages, Dark Ages to the Renaissance, to the to the Enlightenment to what we're experiencing right now, which is postmodern, you know, uh, so what I call the subjectivist revolution, you see that it starts with a new philosophy and then a critical mass of thinkers or, or public intellectuals that propagate that into the culture. That's the only way you can change a culture. And the left, by the way, this is what they've been doing very effectively in the last 100, 150 years, taking the Kantian subjectivist philosophy and propagating that through the educational system seamlessly to the point where you and I have to talk about critical race theory and, you know, is one and one two or, or two and two is four and can a man be a woman? All of that epistemology is being pushed through decades and decades of philosophical work. We're doing the same. We're following the same idea that the only way to change the world is through the battle of ideas. So what I'm doing is generating a new generation of deep thinkers public, uh, public uh, intellectuals armed with Rand's ideas and shipping them to the culture. And they'll end up being politicians and judges and artists and, you know, novelists. And this is how you change a culture. So that's, we're changing the world. And it has the word university in it, but is it for college students or is it a, an all ages type program? It's, it, it's all the way from 16-year-olds to 60-year-olds or 70-year-olds in the sense that anyone who wants to learn about objectivism comes and learns with us. And uh, we're giving them everything around philosophy in general, not just objectivism, everything in the humanities as far as, you know, introduction to law and government, uh, literature, economics, and even the, the idea of why work is so important uh, in, 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 you know, a person's life. Uh, so all of those, um, if you will, in the humanities space from an objectivist perspective is, are the courses we're offering uh, virtually on Zoom, on mobile app uh, that is called Ayn Rand University. And uh, yeah, just inviting more and more people to get interested and go deeper into philosophy. 
how do you view the role of Ayn Rand and objectivism in the modern world? I mean, is there actually a path for these ideas to win out? I think Rand offers us the philosophy for the modern world. If you think about post what we've seen in the 20th century of collectivism, trying fascism and, and communism, and why it didn't work, seeing the Industrial Revolution, seeing the thriving of, of the free world of America, she is explaining all of that. She's integrating all of that into a coherent, integrated system of ideas all the way from what we call the, you know, the four branches, main branches of philosophy, metaphysics, where are we, uh, epistemology, which is how do we know things, what is truth, then morality, which is what is the good, all the way to how should we live as a society. And all in all those four, even in aesthetics, which is the fifth branch, she has a, a book called Romantic Manifesto explaining the role of art in, 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 in a human life. She is one of the four philosophers' effort to build a systematic philosophy. You know, it was Plato, Aristotle, Kant, and, and Rand. And she is the only option, in my mind, that explains everything we've seen in the modern world, the efficacy of reason, the efficacy of technology and science, and to explain everything you see around you. If you read her uh, nonfiction books, like Virtue of Selfishness or Capitalism, The Unknown Ideal, you suddenly realize that everything we're seeing historically in the last two centuries could be explained uh, just by integrating, you know, some fundamental ideas about the human condition that she offers us. So I think objectivism is the modern world's philosophy. Uh, and I think it would be great if more people, um, especially intellectual people who want to pursue an intellectual career, uh, get deeper into Rand's um, alternatives, if you will to the big questions of life. Well, Tal, I really appreciate your enthusiasm for all this and the work that you at the Ayn Rand Institute are doing. I think this, this expansion of the university is really cool and I uh, wish you luck. Thank you very much, Peter. Jennifer Grossman is one of the most visible personas speaking up for objectivism. You can often find Jennifer at Liberty Events with her signature gold dollar sign pen. Jennifer is CEO of the Atlas Society, which promotes the idea of objectivism and helps others apply it to their own lives. So, Jennifer, why don't we start with your objectivist story? I mean, you were in business for many years. You were high-powered in the corporate world. How did you become so passionate for these ideas? Well, you know, I think it actually went back to my early primary school days. I had experiences where um, I was bullied not necessarily for a lisp or a handicap, but I was bullied for um, achievements and for my strengths and not my weaknesses. And looking back at that time, I think that I had my first experience with envy. And it wasn't until reading Ayn Rand's literature and the way that she described envy as not wanting to own your fortune, but wanting you to lose it, not wanting uh to succeed, but wanting you to fail, that it really helped to capture some of what my life experiences had, had been. And um, I decided that this was something I really wanted to share with other young people so that they would be inoculated against the mind viruses of envy, entitlement, victimhood. Um, and I think that Ayn Rand's literature does a great job of that. That's great. Uh, that's, that's a 
really interesting story and probably one that gets played out in schools across America uh, every day. So how, how do you define Atlas Society's work in raising awareness, as you say, for these ideas? Well, I see our moonshot as engaging a billion young minds with Ayn Rand's ideas. One of Ayn Rand's speeches, which got incorporated into her book, Philosophy, Who Needs It, uh, talked about, it was actually a speech that she gave at West Point, talked about, used this metaphor of an astronaut crash landing into an uh, alien planet. And the astronaut had the choice of looking out and accepting and dealing with this new reality or ignoring it. And the astronaut that ignored it was never heard from again. And having been uh, in the think tank world, oh, 25 years ago uh, as director of education policy at the Cato Institute, and then coming back to it so many years, so much has changed. Uh, we are in some ways on in, in an alien landscape um, with revolutions in digital media and how communication gets shared. But I saw coming back that um, it seemed as if many groups had not yet taken advantage of or reckoned with this new uh, environment. And so that was something that I wanted the Atlas Society to take to be able to do and, and be at the forefront of. Um, one of the big changes is that in the uh, late 70s, 70% of young people were reading books on a daily basis for pleasure. That percentage today has plummeted to 12%. And if the mission is to have young people uh, read Ayn Rand, Atlas Shrugged, The Fountainhead, these are not small books. Um, so we really need to reckon with and get radically creative about how we go about the business of engaging young people with these ideas. And fortunately, all of these new technologies, social media, um, provide new means of uh, transacting ideas, because that's what we're doing here in the think tank world. Um, these technologies that demonetize and democratize and dematerialize uh, the content. And so that was one of the things that we first did um, eight years ago when I took over um, in terms of making sure that all of this content was available in audio, uh, encapsulating these ideas in social media, animated videos, graphic novels. I mean, we might wish that young people that their reading habits hadn't changed, that when we walk into a high school library that we saw all of the classics rather than just seeing endless rows of graphic novels. But this is the reality. So we have to, um, as Ayn, one of Ayn Rand's favorite quotes um, was uh, Francis Bacon's, nature to be commanded must be obeyed. So this reality that we want to change, in order to change it, we must be able to recognize it, accept it, and then work from there. It's a great insight. I mean, you're right. It has changed so much. And, uh, and there are certainly groups out there that have not changed with the times. So it's interesting. So I want to dive a little more into some of those efforts. But first, I want to you know, talk about the college experience. Uh, because I know for me, I found Atlas Shrugged in 
college. Took me two years to get through it, but I got through it and just constantly thinking about those ideas. So many people use college as a time to find those. So it makes sense that you have a fairly heavy presence on college campus in various ways. Talk to us about those campus outreach, particularly as they expand beyond just here, read this book. Yes. Well, again, being able to come back into the liberty movement with fresh eyes, one of the things that has been so heartening is to see how there really has been this growth and linkages in this entire new ecosystem of of liberty. Adam Smith, when he talked about the wealth of nations, he also talked about diversification and specialization in an economy. And I see that now in the liberty movement. You have all of these different groups specializing in different things. You do have some um, kind of, uh, I guess you would say, groups doing the same thing, but in a way that that is also a good thing because then you have competition about what is the best method to achieve these ends. So with the Atlas Society, We are providing content and programming, but we are not necessarily going into campuses and starting our own groups. We work with other organizations that have campus chapters, and uh, they are hungry for the kind of content that can help um, get kids primed to think about the world in a more uh, classically liberal way. And so we work with those groups to send uh, members of our academic faculty to campus. We work with them to get our graphic novels, our pocket guides into their activism kits. We send our speakers to their conferences. And it's not just about kids in, in college, it's also uh, younger kids as well. But the other thing is that we're not necessarily confining ourselves to these institutions, which are generally quite hostile to Ayn Rand and also to uh, a kind of free market perspective. And so we rely heavily on um, reaching young people where they are. And for better or for worse, we know that they are on their phones for an average of nine hours a day. And so um, that is also a kind of portal for us to be able to make that touch with, with students. I like to say at the Atlas Society, we provide programming for skimmers, swimmers, and deep divers. So the skimmers might find one of our memes on social media or one of our animated videos on capitalism or socialism uh, or Ayn Rand, and um, then they might begin to swim. They might pick up a graphic novel. Uh, They might start reading one of Ayn Rand's books, and then they might want to do a deep dive, and they would come to our summer conference. They would come to one of our scholars, seminars and uh, really begin to move along this journey for advanced engagement that we've created. It's something that, you know, I brought from my marketing days of how you move from advertising and marketing to conversion and having somebody as a a steady customer. And so I, I treat our young people as our consumers and, of course, our donors. They are 
our customers, and uh, we need to provide them with a value proposition that provides a superior turn, return on investment. And um, fortunately, we've really been able to radically grow our uh, donor base, and that's just been so exciting as well. So do you see any place in the world today, as, as crazy and messed up as it is at the local level, or maybe some facet of national policy or somewhere internationally, where any of these ideas, any of these elements of objectivism are actually taking root? I mean, are you optimistic that, that these billion touches of young people out there can actually convert into some of these ideas turning into reality? Yes, actually, I feel uh, very optimistic. I mean, I think we're all wired to see the threats and see the negativity. But, you know, if you look around us, I mean, look at the explosion of homeschooling in, in the past couple of years. Uh, 2023 is the year of school choice. Um, I also see trends in terms of young People, young boys, young men in, in particular, 12th graders, uh, moving, I guess, away from from leftism. There really is a dichotomy with, with girls. And I also see some signs that Gen Z, although uh, apart from these kind of uh, weird obsessions with identity politics and, of course, the climate alarmism, is moving in a generally more libertarian, individualistic uh, level. The other thing that's been a complete surprise, um, the Atlas societies have been historically more focused um, domestically, but during the, the, the pandemic, the lockdowns, and all of those restrictions, uh, particularly when our content was getting throttled on social media, I said, hey, let's roll the dice. Let's try translating and adapting some of this content into foreign languages. Boy, was that an eye-opener. Videos of ours that would get a million views in English were getting three million views in Spanish or seven million views in Hindu or eight million views in Arabic. So um, I see that there's a real hunger for these ideas overseas. And um, also, I you know, I'm, I wasn't necessarily a member of, of the objectivist community, kind of going to conferences and things 20 years ago, but the members of our faculty um, say that one of the biggest changes they've witnessed is how international and how um, that movement has become. And I certainly experienced that uh, in terms of the, the proportion of young people that attend our conferences that are coming from Serbia and Poland and Guatemala. So I, I, I definitely see reasons to be optimistic. And uh, I think one of my biggest frustrations is when I find donors who are so discouraged, they're so defeated, they kind of feel, well, it's all over, there's nothing to be done, why should I, you know, even waste my my resources fighting this battle? But I'd like to say that no battle is ever truly lost with no hope of reversal until we say it is. And there are always black swans. And, you know, you don't have to save everybody or change everybody's mind. But if you can reach a critical mass, uh, there may be a future leader in that uh, group that can actually make uh, a world of difference in the future. 
Well, those are good reasons to be optimistic, and and it makes sense, right? These are not American ideas, even though so many of them are baked into the American ethos, but these are human ideas. The, the, the exactly. desire for freedom is a human calling, and, uh, and objectivism really speaks to that. So, Jennifer Grossman, really appreciate you talking to us about what Atlas Society is doing, and hope you keep marching forward and get those billion people. <laughs> Thanks. And so grateful for what everyone over there at Donors Trust is doing. We're just big fans. Well, thank you. I mentioned in talking to Jennifer that it took me two years to get through Atlas Shrugged, and that is not an exaggeration. I'd get to the end of a chapter and be exhausted by trying to catch up on the ideas as they came together throughout the book. I wouldn't call myself an objectivist by any means, but that doesn't mean the ideas didn't influence me, and indeed still do. Perhaps the same is true for you, and if you listen to the end of the episode here, then I imagine that you are similarly hopeful that Ayn Rand Institute and Atlas Society continue apace in their work. We'll have links to their websites in the show notes so you can go see what they are up to in more depth and maybe even consider them as part of your philanthropy. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing in your favorite podcatcher if you are not already subscribed. Then you'll get the latest episode as soon as it comes out. We have more good things coming in the feed soon, and I can't wait to introduce you to so many more great groups. Please let me or any of us at Donors Trust know how we can be helpful to you and your charitable giving. Just go over to DonorsTrust.org. All the information about us is there, as well as a Contact Us page, or you can email TellMeMore at DonorsTrust.org, and we will follow up with you. We would love to chat about how we can be helpful to your charitable giving. It is, after all, what we are here to do, Uh, and especially as people's minds shift towards philanthropy at the end of the year, we want to be here and on call for you. Well, thank you again for being a listener to Giving Ventures. Thank you for being a giver. Let's talk more soon.